God, we thank you for uh, tonight, just the fact that we can get together and uh, open up your word and to talk about these things that uh, truly do matter. I, I pray that in the midst of uh, this crazy time that we're in right now, that we would uh, just take advantage of the opportunity that we have to draw near to you and, uh, and even to each other through this. Um, I pray for those that are not with us tonight. Um, and maybe even those that are really struggling and um, they just didn't want to get on because of some of the struggles that they have. Um, God, I pray for them that you would comfort their hearts, uh, that when we start to meet back together face to face, that they would be able to come and get reconnected. And um, I just keep thinking about on and off um, part of the prayer that I prayed on Sunday of just our body getting back together and uh, learning how to heal through all this. Um, and to function together and to function better together than we ever have before uh, as a result of just being separated. And, and so I just pray that you'd help us with all that. I pray that you'd help us with uh, summer camp and that the messages that are going to be put together and the way things unfold, whether we do Beulah Beach, which I'm still hoping that we can, or if we do something at the church, however things work out, God, that you would really help us to put the best camp together, exactly what we need for the season and for this time. Um, Lord, help us to um, just have a, a great conversation tonight, uh, direct our thoughts, direct our conversations uh, in, the, in the way that you want it to go, that we would be able to uh, leave each other with a uh, renewed um, desire to dive deeper into your word and to really understand you. And, and what a privilege that we have in order to have your book uh, in front of us and, and with us all the time. And and just to uncover some of the riches that are there is just, it's just unbelievable. And so I want to thank you for that. So open up our understanding, open up our eyes that we can behold just wonderful things out of your law and um, help us to just love you and thank you and to be appreciative for what we have in you and in your word. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. All right. Okay. So uh, share my screen here real quick. Um, <clears throat> you know, we, been doing this series one thing is needful and as we have been talking about this one thing is needful um you know we hit the whole portion of our communication with god and spent a lot of time on our communication with god on how important that is and how really that reading that praying uh, keeping your heart is critical critical that it really is the core of everything that you do in your christian walk and when there's things that you're struggling with when it comes to um, the work of god evangelism discipleship when it comes to being in your Bible regularly, when it comes to praying regularly, it all goes back down to your heart. There are issues with your heart that have been left unchecked between you and God that you've let go, and it's really starting to hurt in your relationship with God. And so how important that is in Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. I mean, even today in our discussion, we would hit James chapter 3, and we were talking about the tongue and how the tongue and your heart are directly connected and uh and the things that come out of your mouth is because it's already something that's been in your heart and as your heart is in submission to god that you are abandoning your ways and your line of thinking and adopting god's ways and god's line of thinking um, then it really begins to change you from the inside out and so when i struggle and when i'm reading when i struggle with my prayer life it's because my heart is not right with god and if you would get your heart right, then it would be much easier to read, to be more consistent in your reading, in your studying, in your prayer life with God. Uh, everything would just be able to be so much better in your walk with God. So that's something just to really keep in mind as we continue to work through all these other sections. And then from there, we started talking about growth and specifically strength training and how to grow stronger. So as we have our relationship with God, and that begins to be exercised, we will start to do the work of God. And that would be the evangelism, manifesting God's name to the lost world, and then discipling, making disciples of Jesus Christ. And at the end of discipleship, you have the commission, and that is to go out and to do the same thing to others that are willing to, uh, to really become a disciple of Jesus Christ, to hear the word of God, be evangelized, be born again, and then learn how to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so we hit last week talking about discipleship and that process of discipleship out of John 17. And now we're starting to get into studying the Bible and memorizing the Bible. And this is something just in general that is a good, good rule, good pattern that to follow. Um, your reading, your praying, you keeping your heart where it's supposed to be is absolutely critical. 
But understand that studying the Bible, it is very good. It's very good to study the Bible. We're commanded to. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So God tells us that if we are going to be someone that is going to not be ashamed before God, we need to learn how to rightly divide the scriptures, and we need to be a student of the Bible. But sometimes people can become such a student of the Bible that they start to take the Bible and they intellectualize it. And I will tell you that intellectualizing the Bible is one of the worst things that you could possibly do. It actually destroys the God's ability to do anything in your heart and in your life when you approach the Bible from an intellectual perspective. So you have to be careful. And that's why for me personally, because I do a lot of studying of the Bible, for me personally, one of the things that I have is just as a general rule of thumb for me is that I will spend a lot of time studying, but I have to read the Bible. I have to sit down and I have to just read the Bible. There might be certain things that I'll study and I'll get super deep on this and that and whatever, but I have to go back and I just have to read the Bible. It's a very good pattern for me. There are people that read the Bible only and they never study. And those people, they can still have a good, fruitful relationship with God and be very close with him, but there's going to be things that they're going to be missing out on. There, there are riches, there are gems that are in the scriptures that God wants them to understand. Because remember, we are called to be stewards of the mysteries of God. And you're never going to really understand the mysteries of God in total if you're not willing to study them out. So you have to learn how to study. But it's not required for you to be a good student to be a faithful Christian. So make sure you keep that in mind. But for me personally, because I do a lot of studying, I wanted to make sure that I have built into my, my daily life that I'm just reading the Bible. I never want to get away from just reading the Bible because you can get lost in the weeds of a lot of different things. So in that line of thinking, I want to get into how to study your Bible. Uh, some of you guys have began to kind of study your Bible. Some of you guys have, um, you know, dabbled a little bit in it. Maybe you've done a little bit more. Um, maybe some of you have not done anything at all. The things that I'm going to show you today are going to be some basic things that you can pick up and run with right away. If you're ever called upon to lead a Bible study or to, uh, or to put some sort of a lesson together, or even if you teach in like a children's class of any kind in the future, like VBS or something, um, these things are going to be things that you can take and that you can run with. These are great things, but here's the deal. You have got to do it. These are things that I can talk to you about all day long, but until you actually take them and run with them, you're never going to really learn how to navigate properly in your Bible. It's like, you know, when you're explaining to, how, to someone how to ride a bike, you can explain to someone kind of how to ride a bike, but until you actually begin to do it, you really have no idea what you're doing. And you only get better and better and better the more you do it. So we're going to spend some time talking about that. Okay. so. Uh, with that in mind, then, I'm going to share my screen again, um, and I also want to uh, send you guys the, um, actually, before I share, I want to send the, send the file, so that way you guys have that as well. So let me get this all squared away. All right, so let me do that, and then, all right, so I will send through the chat the PDF file for tonight. Okay. So that way you can take a look at that if you'd like to or check it out a little bit later. Okay, so <clears throat> let me get back here to sharing my screen. Okay, all right, so we're going to get into um, really when it comes to studying the Bible. And so there's a class that we teach at our church called the uh, How to Study the Bible, and we go over what's called the 15 Rules of Bible Study. And if you're able to look at that PDF, you know, you can look at it. Um, I don't have everything on the PowerPoint tonight just because there's just way too much information. But if you're able to look at the PDF, you can look at it. But if not, don't worry about it. You can look at it later. I have all the 15 rules of Bible study. Now, these 15 rules of Bible study are rules that are very, very good to keep in mind. Um, I have the definition of what each of those rules are or those factors are. And I have different scripture references in uh, for each one of those factors of those rules that really support the whole idea of what that actually is. So I'm just going to go through them pretty quickly. But the other thing that I did with this handout is that I categorized 
these rules so that way it would help you a little bit more understanding when these rules come into play. So the first thing that I want to talk about, and that's going to be our first category here, is preparation. Preparation. So before you get into studying your Bible, you have to have preparation. You have to prepare your heart. You got to prepare your mind. You got to prepare your heart. You have to have the proper expectation. So the two rules of Bible study that are perfect for preparation are these two. The first one is the attitude factor. The second one is the maturity factor. So the attitude factor, it is be prepared to change what you have been taught or believed when you find that it goes contrary to the Bible. So overall, be teachable. So we're not going to be able to understand everything there is to know about the Bible. There are things that you might be completely way off on when it comes to the Bible. And so when the Bible teaches you something different than what you currently have in your head and in your heart, you should be willing to change what you believe to line up with what the Bible says. So it's having a good heart attitude towards God and towards his word and letting God's word be in control. So that's the attitude factor. The second thing is the maturity factor. Don't panic if you do not completely understand something. Remember that God is infinitely wise. You will never completely understand God. So the maturity factor is just there are things that are more difficult to understand. There are some parts of the Bible that are easy to understand. There's some that are more difficult to understand. Don't freak out about it. There are things that it's just going to take time. It's going to take time for you to really understand how this fits with that. And that's completely okay. So if you go into studying the Bible with those two things, man, you are in a great spot to really learn some deep truths of God that you may not have been able to understand otherwise. Having a good heart attitude, letting the Bible be the boss in your life, and maturity, understanding that there's some things in the Bible that you will not be able to learn until you get a little bit older in your walk with God, that you've walked with God a little bit more, you understand other things about the Bible a little bit later down the line, and that's completely okay. So that's the first thing. And so you have to make sure you have the right heart attitude. That's preparation. And so I got three verses here, and I want uh, people to read these ones. So the three verses, James 1, 22 through 25. Who'd like that one first? James 22, 1, 22 through 25. Who'd like to read? All right, Alana, take that one. James 1, 22 through 25. I need someone to do Luke 6, 46 through 49, Emily, and Sam, go ahead and take John uh, 16, 12. So Emily, you got Luke 6, 46 through 49. Sam, you got John 16, 12. All right, Alana, go ahead whenever you're ready. James 1, 22 through 25. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. All right. I love that one. Be a doer. You can't just hear the Bible and not do it. You have to let the Bible be the Lord of your life. You've got to let it be the boss. If you love God and you love the Lord, he's got to be the Lord. So when the Bible tells you to do something, you do it. So that's important to remember. All right. Luke 6, 46 to 49. And why call you? Nah. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built an house and dig it, dig deep, and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream built vehemently upon the house, beat vehemently upon the house, and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built an house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of the house was great okay so two people one wise one foolish one builds his house upon a rock one builds his house upon sand and jesus likens the wise man who builds his house upon a rock is, is the person that hears my word and does it 
But if you hear my word and don't do it, then you are a foolish man who builds his house upon the sand. And it's only a matter of time before everything else starts to crumble. You have to let God lead you. And the best way that God can lead you is when you read his word, when you study his word, and then you do the things that you learn. I mean, this is pretty simple and pretty basic. But honestly, when it comes to being a Christian, you can't move past this stuff. There's a lot of people that think that they can study God's word, become these intellectual fatheads when it comes to doctrine and theology, and yet they are not obedient. They're not obedient to what God has told them to do, and it profits them nothing, nothing. They're looking wise in the eyes of this world rather than in the eyes of God because they're not being obedient. Your obedience is critical, absolutely critical. And the other thing to remember when it comes to this issue why will God teach you more if you're not willing to be obedient with what you already know? This is a very good point that you need to really think about. It, why in the world would God teach you more things if you're not being obedient with what you already know? I mean, that's not being faithful. That's not being wise. And if you want to be someone who God can entrust the deep things of God to, then you've got to be obedient. You've got to. So that's critical. And then to go along with the maturity factor, we got John 16, 12. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. All right. Love this verse. Jesus is talking to his disciples. It's right before his crucifixion. And he says, I have many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. There are certain things that we just can't bear right now. Jesus wants to unload everything. He wants to tell us everything. But he knows that we're not going to be able to understand it. He knows that we need a little bit more time and a little bit more understanding in this area or that area before we can really understand some of these things that he wants to teach us. So that deals with the maturity factor. Okay, so then going into our next point here is observation. Observation. So we talked about preparation, and now we're getting into observation. And so I'm going to go through these, um, these ones really quick, and then I want to talk to you about how they all fit together. All right, so observation. This would hit what's called the context factor. The context factor is the context of the passage. It always must be considered to determine its proper meaning. I love this one because Pastor Jay mentioned this as the number one rule of Bible study tonight in the live stream, is you always got to make sure that you understand the context. Context is simply with text. Con means with, text is text or the words around it. So you need to understand what's going on around the verse or the passage that you're trying to understand, the historical context, what's happening in the chapters prior, the chapters after. Uh, what's happening in the book overall, what's happening even during the time period where that book was even written, and very important things to understand. And then along with that is every word and every event. God has chosen every word and every event in the Bible for a purpose. So this even gets down to definitions of words. You need to understand definitions of words. If you're coming across a verse or a passage and there's a word in there that you're not familiar with, or as you're reading a verse that there's a word that pops out to you for some reason, then you need to stop and take the time to define that word and really see how God uses that word throughout the Bible. The next one is the people group factor, and that's where the Bible is written to three groups of people, the Jews, the Gentile, and the Church of God. And that really helps you out with context, understanding what's going on, the audience to whom that letter or that portion of, uh, of that chapter or that book was written to will really help you understand uh, why the things are, were said that were said. And then lastly in this section is the time period or the dispensation factor. Understanding that the Bible has divisions or time periods in which God did things a certain way. This is very easily understood. For example, Adam and Eve, uh, God required of Adam and Eve to take care of the garden, to dress it and to keep it, and to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's pretty much what he said, and to be fruitful and multiply. That's pretty much what he told him to do. God does not require us to dress and to keep and to tend a garden. He doesn't. God does not require of us today to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you think that that's you, I don't know what religion you're following, because that's not what God requires of you. And so you need to make sure to keep that in mind, because God requires different things from different people at different times throughout the Bible, and that help, will help you a lot with understanding the context. So basically, preparation, make sure your heart is right, uh, that you are going into it with the right heart attitude. And then secondly, observation, that you're observing basic facts 
about that verse, about the verses surrounding it, about that book, about that chapter, about where it's at in the Bible, very important. And then you're gonna get into interpretation. And interpretation has a lot more rules with it, and you can go through them in more detail in your own time, but this is where you start to compare scripture with scripture, and I'm gonna talk about that in a minute and give an example of that, where you use parts of the Bible to understand other parts of the Bible. Uh, that there is no private interpretation of the Bible. You can't take a single solitary verse and just interpret that one verse. Verses are understood by other verses in the Bible as you compare them one with another. And so I'll show you an example of that a little bit later. Um, then you have the literal factor. Always take a passage literally, exactly as it says, unless it is clear in the passage that you are dealing with symbolism. There are a lot of people that will take symbolic interpretations of verses and passages where God never meant it to be symbolic. And so if, if there's no indication of symbolism there, then you should always take a passage very, very literally. Most of the time in your Bible, the most literal interpretation is the correct one. And that's important to remember. Number nine is the consistency factor. When you approach the Bible, you need to pay attention to the consistency of God. God has clearly established patterns that are consistent through the Bible. Uh, we often use what's called the law of first mention, that the first time that God mentions a word in the Bible, he will use that consistently throughout the whole Bible. And God is very good at using different pictures, different examples. Um, one great example of that is the way he uses numbers in the Bible, which is why oftentimes we'll say that, you know, the number five, you know, the number that is the number of death. Because consistently throughout the scripture, the number five is associated with death in the Bible. Or the number 40, it's commonly understood that that's a time of testing because you find Israel in the desert for 40 years. You find that, uh, that Jesus was in the wilderness after he was baptized and he was tempted after, after all that was done. But he was in the desert for 40 days. And so you see that throughout the scriptures. And so understanding God's patterns will help you understand different parts of the Bible. These next few are really easy ones to, to really clip through. The clarity factor. You never violate a clear passage in trying to understand an obscure one. If you're having a hard time understanding a certain passage, it's just harder to understand. It makes it seem like you can lose your salvation, but yet you know very clearly from other verses in the Bible that you can't lose your salvation. Well, then you know there's something else that's going on. So don't ever violate clear passages of Scripture if it seems like something else is up and it seems like it's saying something else. Um, the confirmation factor is talking about you never base a, a doctrine on a single verse or passage. Most heretical doctrines are always based on a single verse or a single passage. And the next one, question factor, is very similar. You never base a doctrine on a question. There are certain verses in the Bible where God asks questions, and he does that because it's a literary form he's trying to use but people will often take those one verse, that one verse or that one passage, and they will create these crazy doctrines and use that as a text that backs up what they believe. And then you have the creation factor, that the invisible things of God can be understood by studying creation. So when you understand the things out in the created world, it can really enhance and help you understand biblical truth. And then lastly, the apparent contradiction factor, that you always give the Bible the benefit of the doubt. If you find an apparent contradiction, it's not one because the Bible can't contradict. It's just apparent. So there's something else that's there. And sometimes I have found that when it comes to apparent contradictions, it's because there's something there that God wants me to study uh, because there's something deeper that he wants me to work harder to understand. So that deals with interpretation. So you have preparation. You've got, I'm preparing my heart for it. You've got the uh, the next one, which is observation, that I'm starting to notice details about all these things, defining words and everything. Then you have interpretation. Okay, coming down to what, does, what do these verses, what do these observations actually mean? And then that leads us into our last section, and that is application. And that's where you take these truths and you apply them to your life. And there are three applications to all Bible passages. There's historical, there's devotional, and there's doctrinal. Historical. Those are the things of what it meant at that period in time in human history to those people. Devotional. These are things that apply to you directly. And then thirdly, doctrinal. These are deeper spiritual truths about God's truth or something that he wants you to know that's going to be happening in the future. 
And so those are how all those things play out. So these are rules that, I mean, honestly, I would suggest writing them in your Bible. I would take some time and look up all these passages of scripture and really start to get them down. But I wanted to categorize these in preparation, observation, interpretation, application, because I feel like it would be a better way for you to really understand how these things help. Preparing your heart, looking at the details. All right, now that I've looked at the details, what does all this mean? And making sure you have a proper interpretation and then understanding, okay, how am I going to apply this historically to those people then, to my life now, devotionally, or to what God is teaching me that's a deeper spiritual truth about himself or something that's going to be happening in the future. So those are the 15 rules. And like I said, we spend like almost two, three months in this class going through all those things in great detail. But what I want you to just get away from or get from this is just a basic understanding of what they are and an opportunity for you to dive into those things at a later point in time. So any questions on those things before we move on to some of the interactive stuff that we want to do? I know that was a lot, but um, some things just to really keep in mind. Because all, all, when it comes to studying the Bible, it's, it's pretty much all the same when it comes to my heart's got to be right, I observe some details, I interpret it, and then I apply it. So that's kind of the most basic way to, to, to look at that. So any thoughts, any questions? All right. Okay. All right. So let's talk about how this actually works out. All right. So on this sheet, I got, and this is the next page. Um, we have the preparation, we got the observation, interpretation, and application. Now, uh, with this one, I want to go through practically what these things are and how this actually works out on a more practical level. Okay, so the preparation, we've already spent time talking about, so I feel like we can go on to the next one. Observation. So when we're talking about context, words, people groups, time period, all that stuff, here's some of the simple questions. What's going on? Who's involved? Who is the audience? Where is the passage in this chapter? Where is this passage in the Bible? What's the dispensation? What's the division? Or what terms do I need to define? Now, the whole point of this one is that you need to think through and answer as many of these questions as you can. The more questions that you ask about a passage, just like a detective, the more details you can uncover that will help you to interpret things better. And so that's where you need to think through these questions and try to answer as many as you can. Um, identifying the dispensation of the passage and what God requires of man will help you through some of those details because sometimes things are communicated differently in different dispensations where God required things from different people. So that will just help you get some more details out of it. But here's where it really comes into play. List those terms that you need to define and find out the definition. So how would you do that? You would search the term in a concordance, a Bible app, and or use a Webster's 1828 or 1913 dictionary. Search for synonyms of the term in the immediate context. All right, so let's go with these one at a time. How many of you guys know, like, who knows what a concordance is and who can give me a good definition of a concordance? What's a concordance? All right, Emily Owens, go ahead. Okay, so I'm just gonna take a shot at this. But isn't it where, like, there's a word listed, and at least, like, it references it different places into your Bible in different contexts? Yes. So, like, name a word from the Bible. Um, father. <laughs> okay, good. All right. See, do, you can do any of them. All right. So, a concordance would be, if you're old-fashioned, you like to use books. This is what you do. You would find a big concordance. I mean, these suckers can be thick. Megan's going to go get hers. Okay. So you would have this big book that Megan's going to go get. And you would, it's alphabetical. It lists all the words of the Bible in there. So you would go through almost like a dictionary and you go to the letter F and you'd find father. And you'll see that word father. And then it will list for you every single reference in the Bible where the word father is used. So that way then you can take that. And you'd look up every verse that has the word father, which would be massive. I mean, it would be like a lot, but you would be able to see every place where the word father is used. Now, when you do that, what you're doing is that you're allowing God to define that word for you because you're seeing how he uses that word. Now, you may already understand the definition of father, but seeing how God defines it, 
may enhance or broaden your understanding of what that word actually means. And so there's, there's words like that all over the scriptures. Another good one to think of is like the word love. If you were to look up the word love, in your King James Bible, there's two different words in, in reference to love. One is love and the other one is charity. Now, if you were to look up the word love, there would be many different references for the word love. But if you were to look up the word charity, there would be a lot less. And you'd find out, well, what's charity here? Because I thought that 1 Corinthians 13 was the love chapter. Because in every other translation of the Bible, it uses the word love there. But here in, in chapter 13 in my King James Bible, it says charity. Why does it do that? And so you can start to see all the different places where the word charity is used and why God uses the term charity and what that actually means. So that can help you really define what that word actually is. Now, another easy way to do it, and I'm going to share my screen here with you real quick, is, um, all right. Okay. Ah, here it is. Okay. Before I share my screen. All right. So here's a Strong's Concordance. This is a little one. And here's, it just looks like a dictionary. And you would literally go to the word, like right here, I've got light. And the word light here, it has all these references here where the word light is actually used. And it gives you the verse reference, and it gives you the part of that verse where light is actually used. So it's a very handy tool. And this one's a big one. Reese has one too? Okay, good. Sorry. Sorry. Apologize. So anyway, there's this one. And it's a big fat one that you can use. Uh, it has two purposes. One is for finding out the words. And the other one is for uh, really hurting someone very, very bad. Because it, this one will kill you. I mean, this one very, very bad. Um, but very good tools to have. If you don't happen to have the book handy, then here's what I do. Um, because I do this quite often. If you do not have the Blue Letter Bible app installed on your phone or electronic device, I would do it. And if you don't have that, and like you have a Chromebook or something like that, I wanted to show you this one. Uh, where is it? Okay. All right. So here's Blue Letter Bible. And for Blue Letter Bible, it's very simple to use. If you want to take that word, this says verse, word, or topic. So I wanted to take a look at father all right and so in the king james bible i search for the word father the word father shows up 998 times in 852 verses and then it literally lists for me every single place where father is used and i can go all the way down and look at each one of these verses and see how god defines that term now the one i just mentioned to you being charity type in charity and search Charity shows up 28 times in 24 verses. And so now I can see where charity is used. And the other thing that's really cool about this is that over here has search results by book, where it has, okay, nine times it's mentioned in 1 Corinthians. Out of all the places in the Bible, it's mentioned nine times in 1 Corinthians. But then you look, there's no Old Testament passages that reference charity. Who knows why? But it's just one of those things that you start to notice some of those details about why here it's mentioned and it can give you some thorough definitions. So this is another way to use a concordance by just searching for that term um, in uh, a Bible app or program. So I love Blue Letter Bible. It's one of my favorite things to use on my phone. Um, and I have another Bible program that I use for my computer, but this one is really, really good as well. So that will help you out quite a bit. All right, so the other thing to mention is outside of using a concordance, um, the next thing that I mentioned on here was uh, using a Bible app, which we've already covered a little bit. Uh, the Blue Letter Bible app is awesome. Uh, the Webster's 1828 or 1913 Dictionary. Now, the reason why we limit it to those two, um, you may not have known this before, but dictionaries were originally established by this guy named Noah Webster. And Noah Webster was a born-again believer. And he loved God, he loved his word, and he began to use these different tools like concordance, searching for, for uh, words throughout the Bible. And he began to write down biblical definitions based upon how the Bible uses different words. So dictionaries were invented because of the Bible, which is kind of cool. So if you ever have a history assignment that you want to, or maybe in English class you want to write about Noah Webster, it would be a great opportunity to do that. It'd be a great way to evangelize and talk about the Bible that way. And so that's what he did. So if you look up in a Webster's 1828 or 1913 dictionary, 
you will find oftentimes with the definitions of those words, they include scripture references of where that verse and how that word is used in that verse. So that's kind of cool. Uh, you get past that and it's been edited so much by so many other people that you really start to lose some of the spiritual, um, um, I guess, side of the dictionaries. And that's why you got, you know, the crazy things today and all the stupid words they add every year for no reason, <laughs> just because it's culturally relevant. Okay. So that's using that one. And you can find those free online. Just search for Webster's 1828. And there's several different uh, websites that pop up where you can define that. And there's a few Bible apps that are available on uh, Android and Apple. Um, you can find there too. All right. And then the other thing I mentioned here is search for synonyms of the term in the immediate context. So sometimes in the Bible, a lot of times in the Bible, if you don't understand a word, there is something either in that same exact verse or in the verse above or the verse below or somewhere within that chapter where God uses a synonym for that word. And so the Bible will end up defining itself by using synonyms in that verse or passage. It's really cool. And you may not have noticed that before, but the next time you read and you come across a certain word, you'll start to see that God kind of repeated himself by using a synonym, and that's him trying to define that word. Back in the day, when kids were learning how to read, they learned how to read by using the Bible. And they began in Genesis, and they worked their way all the way through to Revelation. And coincidentally, I'm sure, the book of Genesis is one of the easiest books in the Bible to read. And as you move through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, your reading level gets harder and harder and harder and harder and harder. And so by the time that you end with Revelation, you're actually reading at a higher reading level as measured by our English standards than you would in the book of Genesis. And so kids learn how to read the Bible by reading from Genesis to Revelation uh, back in just, you know, not even 100 years ago. So that's something important to remember. Something that's kind of cool. So God ends up making kids smarter just by reading the Bible, quite literally. So that's something important. So you got observations there. So those are some basics. You know, when you've got a term that God repeats or something stands out to you or you don't understand, use a concordance, use a Bible app, use a Webster's 1828 or 1913 dictionary. Look for some of those synonyms and God will start to teach you deeper truths as to what's going on in that verse by defining some of those terms. Okay, the next thing, interpretation. So when it comes to comparing scripture with scripture, which is the big one that I want to hit, all interpretations must be made by comparing scripture with scripture. You never base a doctrine on a single verse, passage, or question. So with this one, you can use a concordance as well. Identify some of those key words in the verse or passage and search those words through the Bible, and you can see how God used them. That's exactly what we just talked about. But here's the part that I want to major on. Use cross-references. Now, cross-references, and there's another book that was put together called The Treasury of Scripture Knowledge, or TSK, as you'll find in some uh, Bible apps or Bible programs. These are cross-references that uh, someone else has put together where they try to show different verses and how they relate to one another. So you can almost build your own cross-reference system in your Bible. Like, for example, in my Bible, I kind of have done that already. So, um, like, even today I was reading, and I was in um, 1 Corinthians for my, for my daily reading that I was in. And, um, and so what I've done is I actually have um, a couple things here. All right, so let me see if I can show you. It's really small because I write really small. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, what I've done is I have right here... I have the judgment seat of Christ. So I know this verse deals with the judgment seat of Christ. And so I looked up every place in the Bible where the judgment seat of Christ is talked about in detail. And I wrote those cross references right here in my Bible. So that's just some of the studying that I've done where I wanted to make sure that I have all those there. And chances are what I've done in these other passages is I've referenced this verse here in those other passages. So that way I know that 1 Corinthians 3 is talking about the judgment seat of Christ as well. So I've made a habit in my Bible to be able to start building my own cross-references by, by studying and finding other places in the Bible that talk about some of these things. Now, my first go at trying to understand cross-references and really how to get into the details of all this is by using treasury of scripture knowledge. So if you've never used that before, it is a very, very valuable tool. I will say you need to use it with discretion because not all the verses that are listed as cross-references are good ones. So you just have to read them and really just start to 
see how that verse that's related to this one, why it's listed along with that one. Now I'll give you an example. All right, so I'm gonna share my screen again here. And I wanna show you an example. Okay, so we're back to the Blue Letter Bible. So the Blue Letter Bible, and I'll just do this one because this past Sunday's message was uh, a perfect example of this. All right, so you had Pastor Tom and he was talking about something out of Job 41, what was it? Somebody unmute yourself and tell me what it was. Leviathan. Yes, the Leviathan. Leviathan. All right. So let's say you want to study the Leviathan. All right. So you know it's somewhere in the Bible. You remember that word. I'm going to hit that. I'm going to go to it. And it says the site can't be reached, which is awesome. So that's pretty awesome. I love it. All right. Let's try it again. There we go. Now it's working. Okay. So Leviathan only shows up five times in four verses. Now, the message that Pastor Tom talked about was in Job 41, and this is where it specifically names, Canst thou draw out Leviathan with an hook? So if I wanted to understand more about this context, I would click on Job 41, and I would read through, and I would see that God's talking about this dragon that is an aquatic dragon that lives in the sea, and it details Leviathan in very, very detailed. It gives a lot of details about Leviathan. Now, if I wanted to understand more about Leviathan, I could look at the other places in the Bible that use the term Leviathan, and I'd be able to find out just from these verses that if I read the context of Job 41, that it's, an, it's a, a water dragon that breathes fire, who is almost indestructible, and then you have Psalm 74, thou breakest the heads of Leviathan, so it's a multi-headed dragon that lives in the water, that breathes fire, it's very powerful, and in Psalm 104, it says, there go the ships. There is that Leviathan whom thou madest to play therein. Talking about the sea and the deep, when you study the, the context of what's going on here, you just read the verses around in Psalm 104. And then you find in Isaiah 27, in that day, the Lord, with his sore and great and strong sword, shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. So as you start to look at this, you're like, okay, so you have a, an aquatic fire-breathing dragon that's very powerful, that has multiple heads, who plays in water, and is associated with ships, that God is going to destroy him one day with a sword, and he's called a piercing serpent, a crooked serpent, and he's also called a dragon that is in the sea. When you start to go into some of that, you're like, huh, that's interesting. So you want to find out some more details about it. So I want to go into a little bit more of Isaiah 27. So on Blue Letter Bible, they have this thing right here. It's called tools. And they have a little section here called cross-references. Now their cross-references is treasury of scripture knowledge. And so what it does is it breaks out this verse and it gives you different sections in that day with his sore and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan and piercing. So you have all these verses that are associated with the different parts of this verse. So what I did when I first got started with cross-referencing is I literally went line by line and I began to look up every single verse with every single section to see how it related back to that phrase. And this makes it really easy for you in this program because it has that day and then it says, Isaiah 26, 21, For behold, the Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also shall disclose her blood and no more cover her slain. So it's judgment day. So that day being associated with judgment day. So now this helps me. Because now it's talking about, okay, that day is in reference to God's judgment upon the whole earth. And then the next one, with his, and I go back, now what's that with? With his, the Lord with his sword and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan. Okay, with his. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Behold, it shall come down upon Idumea, upon the people of my curse, to judgment. The sword of the Lord. Okay. For by fire and by his sword will the Lord plead with all flesh. So it's part of his judgment. So part of God's judgment is dealing with his sword as he judges the whole earth. Wet my glittering sword of judgment. And it just kind of keeps going. And so it gives you a further understanding of why those verses are there as you start to compare scripture with scripture. 
But what I really wanted to show you is we could spend so much time going through all these verses that I wanted to show you this last part because it says that crooked serpent shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. So I'm going to go down there, which you can click here. It takes you all the way down. And so you have the crooked and you have that dragon. And as you get into the dragon section and you go all the way down to Revelation 12, you start to see that there is a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. And this dragon in chapter 12, he draws a third part of the stars of heaven and casts them to the earth. It talks about the persecution of this man-child and talks about the nation of Israel. But as you keep going, you start to find out right here in verse 9, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, and he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So I wanted to show you this as an example, because just by looking at Leviathan, and you start looking at all the places where Leviathan is used, and then you begin to use the treasury scripture knowledge, you find out that the identity of this Leviathan, this dragon, is the devil. And you only find that out by studying as you compare scripture with scripture. So that was a, an example that was probably one of the easiest examples but what I wanted you guys to do is that once you start to get into this, you'll really start to see some pretty incredible things. Once you start diving into treasure scripture knowledge and you start looking at all these other places in the Bible where this phrase is related to that phrase and you start to see stuff from the Old Testament and how it associates with the New Testament and God's teaching you this and that. And he really helps you to put some things together. And that's really how we can understand the Bible at a much deeper level. So, um, so there's that one. And then, then getting down to the part where it really matters, and that is application, how you actually then apply that to your life. And after you've done all your work in observing, looking at all the details, you start to take a look at some of the comparing scripture with scripture, and you start to see how God associates different parts of the Bible together. You can start to get a bigger understanding of what's going on. Then you get into this application. What is God saying to that people at that time in history? What is God saying to you today where you're at? Something that you need to be obedient with? And what is God teaching you about himself or his doctrine or something in the future? Because every passage of the scripture has a historical, devotional, and a doctrinal application to it. So these are some great tools that I use daily and that I wanted to give you something that you could literally take and run with tonight that if you wanted to, to study something tomorrow, or even tonight, you'd be able to pick this stuff up and use it right away. And, uh, and if you don't know that website for Blue Letter Bible, it's just blb.org. So make sure that you guys can get that app for your phone or for your tablet, or make sure you bookmark that website because it's a great tool to use. Um, so anyway, so that's all that I had planned that I wanted to cover. So when it comes to studying the Bible, um, what kind of questions do you have? What kind of examples do you want to see? What's something that you really don't understand that I could give a little bit more insight into? Is there anything at all? Or maybe an example of something that you wanted to study out or something that you're curious about and how you would go about doing it? Or maybe even something that you've learned? All right, Lauren. Um, Liz mentioned my disciple. She mentioned um, something about treasures, about like wood and gold and everything. Um, like in like when we after the whole judgment, I don't know if it's about after the judgment, but she mentioned it. And mm -hmm. I, I didn't know if she was meaning it as like you said, take things as literal. Um, I, I didn't know if it was symbolism or like not, I don't know exactly where in the Bible she mentioned that we talked about. I think we were in the Revelation. Yeah. I'm not sure. But she was talking about like a treasure that we had. Um, mm -hmm. And then she's like, the gold and the things that don't burn are like the things like we witness, we um, like things that we should do. And like, yeah. The sticks and the stuff that burn and everything is like, this like the sin and everything that we do so like i was just like kind of confused on that yeah bit. yeah so okay so you're talking about it'll be first corinthians 3 it talks about the um uh, the gold silver precious stones 
wood, hay, and stubble. So yeah, all six are listed in there. And, um, and I actually did this. She was in my class when I, when I taught this in JBI. Um, so, so the way that I did this, because I wanted to make sure that I was accurate about it, but this is a great example. So I was hitting the judgment seat of Christ, and I wanted to go through and I wanted to talk about, you know, what does gold mean? What does silver mean? What does precious stones mean? What does wood mean? What does stubble mean? What does hay mean? And try to define what those things were. And I did exactly what I just taught you. So I took gold and I just went into Blue Letter Bible. I went into my Bible app and I typed in gold and I hit it and I came up with like a ton of references. And so what I did was, is I said, okay, how does God use the word gold in the Bible and what is gold associated with? And as I'm working through Genesis and I'm working down through my Bible, I hit a huge section in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers in dealing with how God used gold in the tabernacle and in the temple when it came to his worship and all the things that were used in the worship of God in the tabernacle and in the temple. And so what you find is that gold is often associated with the worship of God, and it's also associated with the deity of God. So as you go through the Bible, you'll start to see how God uses gold, and you'll start to see that trend. I did the same thing with silver, and I did the same thing with precious stones, and that's where I came out with silver uh, being a representation of redemption, because in the nation of Israel, you'll find that silver shekels were used as a price of their redemption. And uh, it's also in used uh, as a um, um, kind of a uh, picture or a type of the Bible. So how I cherish the Bible, how I love the Bible, and how I uh, even give the Bible to other people as I'm trying to talk to them about God. And then precious stones, you find out that people are called precious stones. When you search for that term, you see how God uses it. So it's really cool because then you're not having to figure it out. You're letting God define that term and how he uses it and you see how he uses it throughout the bible it's really kind of neat um and i did the same thing with wood hay and stubble and i came up with different answers on those two that actually end up being complete opposites of the gold silver and precious stones so you could literally do that with anything once you go through like let's say you're going through a certain passage and you're like i wonder what that means or why did god use that word or why did he say it that way you can take that word or that phrase plug it in search for it and see if God uses it anywhere else and you'll start to get some interesting things that he's trying to teach you. So it's really neat. So is that helpful? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. All right. Uh, Bothman, what do you got? Well, you kind of mentioned it and it's, it's kind of small, but for me, like if I'm like, I haven't really gotten into really studying out stuff, but if I kind of read a verse, you know, and whatever I'm reading and a certain attribute, you know, pops up to me, I look up like that word, like you said. Um, and then if there's a verse that I'm, you know, kind of as I'm scrolling that just kind of really stands out to me or that was kind of a blessing or I don't know, it always depends on the situation. But um, sometimes I'll read like a few verses like around it or I'll just read the whole chapter and not just to like get the context to like make sure I'm understanding it correctly, but a lot of times when I do that, I'll find another verse that's actually, you know, ends up adding onto that and being, you know, a bigger blessing. And it's just like really cool and like a sweet time with like me and God as I'm kind of doing that. It's just, yeah. I don't know, it's really nice. No, it's true. My first, when I, when I started really diving into stuff like this back when I was, I was in college and I, you know, was waking up super early and I was, putting a lot of time into studying, I would often find myself that I would be reading a passage, something would stand out to me. And so I would do treasure scripture knowledge. I'd do the cross references. It would lead me to this other place. And then I'd be in there. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And then I'd do treasure scripture knowledge and it would lead me to this place over here. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And I kept doing this to the point where I'm like, where did I start? I don't remember what passage I started from, but it's really neat because you, you start to really see how God has interconnected different parts of the Bible that you never would have thought of on your own um, just because we don't read the Bible like we should. I mean, there are people that read the Bible so much and, and I'm not quite there yet. I see little elements of it. The more I read the Bible through each year, the more I see it, that as I'm reading, I'll hit a certain passage where I'm like, oh my gosh, that reminds me of Joshua because he said almost the exact same thing. 
So the more you're in the Bible, the more the Spirit of God inside of you will help you make those connections. But one really great way to start to build some of those connections is to see something like Trader Scripture Knowledge or some of those cross-references, and you start to see some of those relations, and then it makes you think about it more. So some of the best memory verses that I've found has been through Treasury Scripture Knowledge. It's been kind of cool. Yeah, I I just did that with um well with discipleship. My first memory verse that I kind of got, I went and like read the chapter, and I'm trying to find. I was trying to find where it was, but it like went right along with what I read that day, and it was like perfect, and it was it was really cool. Yeah, I can't that find is pretty it, but cool. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good. That's awesome. All right, Emily Owens, what do you got? Okay, so I just had two questions. Okay. Um, the first was like, because you kind of addressed like, if you know a certain word that you're looking for or you want cross-references for that, it's very easy to find. But what if like you're trying to find more of like a general topic mm-hmm. and you don't really know where to look? Like, because some, sometimes you know, like if you're looking for faith, Hebrews is a good place to check. Like, yes. if you have absolutely no idea, do you have any, like, suggestions for how to go about that? So, um, so yeah, so I've done that a little bit when it comes to, like, let's say, um, oh, okay. Um, okay, so here would be an example. All right. So, let's say, um, let's say I want to do a new series, or I'm reading something in my Bible, and I'm coming across something, and I want to do a new series. So, I want to do something on um, trials. So difficult times. So what I'll often do is I will say, okay, well, what passages or what verses really kind of deal with that word or that term? So if I want to go, I want to say trials, or trails, T-R-I-A-L, all right, trials. I can do trials and see what pops up. Um, And I can see, okay, there's nothing here for trials. So if I do trial, then I've got six. Then I'll kind of go through and I'll say, okay, what does the Bible say about trials? And then as I'm working through, I see a great trial of affliction, okay? Uh, others had trial of cruel mockings, and I could see in Hebrews 11, there's that uh, examples of people that were persecuted for their faith. First uh, Peter 7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious. Okay, this is kind of what I want to go into. And so then I see this one, and I'm like, okay, I want to go into this. And then also later on in that same book, you've got, uh, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial was just to try you as though some strange thing had happened to you. So then what I'll do is I'll go into first Peter one, seven, and then I'll see, okay, what does the cross, what are the cross references for first Peter one, seven? And then I'll go through here. And usually by this point, I am now knee deep in a study about what it means to be having a trial of your faith or being persecuted for your faith. And there are so many things that now I can pull from that it really can start to pull that out. So that's one way that I do it. Um, I like doing it that way because I feel it's a more biblical manner of trying to find a topical study because I'm looking for that word or that term. Um, The other way that I'll do it is, um, you know, I'll use a Webster's 1828. So if I want to do Webster's 1828 and I wanted to put in trial. And then I'll kind of go through here and I'll say, okay, examination by test, um, experience, you have gardening, and I'll see different words here, affliction, temptation. Then I'll take this word and then I'll search for it in the Bible. What does the Bible say about affliction or afflictions? What does the Bible say about temptations? And I'll start to pull those things in. So that's probably the most biblical way that I could suggest Uh, really getting into a good topical study. Um, The easy way to do it is to find a topical book that would give you the verses for you. But again, um, doing it this way, you get to see how God uses that word throughout the Bible. So does that help? Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, sure. The other question I just had was, what is like the right balance between like reading your Bible and studying your Bible? I guess if that makes any sense. (laughs) No, it does. It does. Because um, that's a balance that I think you need to find on your own. Um, Because what I what I have found is that sometimes I get so deep into studying that I get into the details so much that I miss the bigger picture of what's going on. 
because I'm so focused on these small little details. So what I found, this is why it's been a benefit to me, is that if I just sit and I just read, it gives me a broad understanding of the context. And I kind of know more about the theme of the book. And I know how this kind of book flows from one chapter to the next. And then if there's something in particular that I want to dive into, then I can dive into it. But you can get really lost in the weeds if you're not careful. So you almost have to know yourself. Um, and when you've been studying too much, because um, the Bible, if you even study the word study in the Bible, you'll find that much study is a weariness to the flesh. And there are sometimes that you can study your Bible so much that you actually think that you're more spiritual because you're studying. But in reality, you're not doing too well because you're actually exercising your flesh too much. So um, that, that's a balance that I think you really got to really got to find on your own. I know that's what I've had to do. I've had to, I've noticed that when I study so much where I'm like, man, I just need to, I need to have a general understanding of what's going on. And I just sit and I read. It's so refreshing for me just to sit and to read. And so that's where I really needed to find that balance between those two. Okay. Thank you so much. Yep. You're welcome. All right, Alana. So um, some advice for studying the Bible. Um, I kind of prefer to just like read in the Bible and just like take notes but like sometimes I have trouble like just studying it on my own so like um what's helped me with that is actually teaching Bible studies mm -hmm. um so I just want to encourage you guys if you ever get the chance to teach a Bible study do it even if you're like terrified of public speaking like me do it because it's yeah. such a great learning experience I learn just from studying things like even if it's like a topic that I'm very familiar with God still always shows me something new from the topic I'm studying and I also learned from actually teaching it to other people and just talking to other people about these things so mm -hmm. um that's helped me with studying in the Bible so I encourage you guys just to try teaching um, a Bible study to a group of people and it'll really help yeah that's good and get into conversations with people you know, because you get into a conversation. I remember back when I was in high school and in middle school, especially in high school, I'd have a conversation with my Catholic friends. And uh, and it was so funny. I still remember this kid that we got into these debates constantly. And it wasn't, I mean, we were still friends and they were friendly, you know, arguments. But, you know, he would come to me with something and I would give him an answer and I would open up my Bible and I would show him and he would be like, and then he would go off and he'd go to his priest and he'd be like, all right, this is what my friend told me. And his priest said, well, then tell him this. And so then he came back to school and he was like all cocky and everything. And he'd come to me and he's like, yeah, well, what about this? And so then he would show it with me. I'm like, well, the Bible says here this. And he'd be like, mm. and then he'd keep going. And so it was really good for me because then I'm actually answering these questions by using my Bible. And there are times that someone would ask me a question. And I'm like, you know what? I don't know. And so then I'd have to think about how would I answer that? And I didn't want to answer just based, based on my opinion. I wanted to answer based on what does the Bible say, because that's really what matters. I'm imperfect. The Bible is perfect. So I need to use it as my final authority for that answer. And so it really helped me to dive into some of those things a little bit more. And it's the same effect with teaching, because when you get up and then you're communicating the Bible, you better be communicating <laughs> correctly. And it's not your opinion because who cares about your opinion? What does the Bible say? And so when you begin to articulate things, then you are going to have to get your thoughts in order. You're going to have to get passages of scripture that actually say the things that you're trying to communicate. And it will just really help you all the way around. So in other words, get engaged with the Bible, with people, you know, get into the work, start talking to people you know, grab hold of opportunities and you'll find that you will be leaning more and more on your Bible and understanding it more the more you teach it. I mean, for me, probably the greatest venue that I have been stretched the most has been our Bible Institute. Um, you know, because it's one thing to be a student, to learn things, but then to turn around and then actually write curriculum that then I'm beginning to teach to people. And then I have people in there that are way smarter than me and I've got to make sure that I have all my ducks in a row. It really helped me out quite a bit. So that is definitely true. All right. What else we got? Comments, questions, thoughts? Anything nonsensical? <laughs> okay. 
All right, again, I think the big takeaway from this is that in order to really get your hands on this, you just got to dive in, you got to do it. Um, the tools that you have at your fingertips are, that are free are unbelievable. I can't imagine being a Christian back in the early 1900s and not having a treasure of scripture knowledge, not having my Bible app on my phone that I can go to a verse and say, and then find all the other verses that are with it. What we have at our disposal is amazing. And because we have these things at our disposal, there's no excuse for us to be illiterate when it comes to the study of God's word and to be doctrinally sound. Um, but it, on, on the other hand, it really makes some people lazy uh, because they have all the stuff, but then they don't use it. So uh, really take it as a challenge. When it comes to your reading, dive into it. Don't be afraid. Uh, I was at first, I was super nervous to get into it, but man, I learned a ton just by diving into the deep end of the pool and really learning how to tread on some of these things. So, okay. All right. Anything else? All right. Sweet. Okay. So that's your challenge. My challenge to you is that find something, hopefully you're reading daily. Um, maybe for those of you that are participating in our reading of James right now, uh, right now we're going to be doing chapter four tomorrow. As you read through James chapter four, don't just read, find a verse and study it out. Try to do some cross-referencing, see what you find. Um, that would be a great challenge. If you're reading somewhere else right now, when you come across a certain verse or a certain word or a certain phrase, stop and do a little bit of studying. Just, you know, put your, put your toes into the deep end of the pool. You'll find out there's some amazing things that are there. All right, so hopefully you guys will do that. You'll find some great stuff there. Okay, all right, then we are done. Who'd like to close us in prayer? Don't make me sing again. I'll do it. All right, Alana. Heavenly Father, Lord, just thank you for uh, just this wonderful day that we've had and just uh, for giving us the opportunity to just talk about these things, Lord. And um, I just want to thank you for um, also giving us the opportunity to be able to meet on Sunday, Lord. That's a huge blessing. Um, I pray that we'd be uh, safe in doing so, but um, ultimately just enjoy the service and enjoy uh, fellowship with each other, Lord. And I pray um, that other things will start to open up again and that um, you just help um, our church leaders and our government just make wise decisions about all of this. And um, I pray that we just um, be constantly learning from your word, whether we're just reading it or we're just studying it out, but I pray that we'd be doing both and that um, our relationship would just continue to grow, Lord. And um, we love you very much. And we ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, Lana. All right, guys. Then I will see you on Sunday. It's good to say that. That's awesome. All right. See you Sunday.